Hello and welcome back to Boxing and Bullshit. It's your host, Alex Diaz. It is June 2nd, 2022. We have a few fights to go over. Let's not bullshit too long. Let's go. So the big story this past weekend was the Gervonta Take Davis against the Rolando Romero fight, otherwise known as Rollies. Uh, Rolly, not necessarily the slickest, most talented fighter in the world. But he packs a pretty good punch. He is awkward. Um, plants his feet a lot. Doesn't have the best footwork when it comes to boxing. But he made it a competitive fight. I think a lot more competitive than more people were expecting. So it made for an exciting fight. I do believe, though, that Gervonta... I, mean, I pretty much figured that his game plan was going to be to box maybe the first half of the fight. And then just hope that uh, Rolando, uh, Romero would tire out. Uh, just try and kind of pot, like pot shot him and eventually uh, walk him into something huge. It is pretty much exactly what happened, with the exception of the fact that Romero did do some pretty decent work. He is um, a late bloomer when it comes to boxing, right? So it's someone who trained in judo um, the early part of his life and transitioned over to boxing and has been successful as a sparring partner and just as a, you know, he's a heavy handed kid. Still relatively young. Um, can uh, look I think he can get better I think that he has something to offer if he continues to be uh, dedicated to his craft training in Nevada having um, you know being part of that that Mayweather camp I think exposed him to some pretty good fighters he has sparred uh, Ryan Garcia has sparred some pretty decent fighters and I think he's kind of made somewhat of a name for himself in that sense Maybe, you know, more so as being a pretty gritty, somewhat dirty, um, rough uh, opponent. But, you know, the kid, it works for him and he's got a hell of a personality. So he may not be the smartest, but <laughs> he's somewhat cringe and at the same time funny. He can be offensive. I would not say he's very eloquent in some of his insults or in some of his build up to the fight. But, but he's just different, right? So he does kind of, he garners attention, I think, more so because people would rather see him lose and see him humbled. And I think that's why this fight, like, I, I had no interest in this fight four or five months ago. As the fight approached, I was like, man, I really want, you know, I want to see what, like, he genuinely believes in himself. And people who have sparred him and know him and are friends with him in the boxing community started betting on him. Now, I understand the odds were like 4 or 5 to 1. Him by knockout was like crazy. Him by knockout in the first round was insane. But um, he made it a somewhat difficult fight for Tank in the early rounds just on sheer uh, aggression, right? So, uh, Gervonta, he's, I believe, in his absolute prime. Obviously, can, you know, still has some flaws. I think the Pitbull fight just kind of made you feel like yeah, is he really what we think? He, uh, like, really what he think he is, right? Because Pitbull isn't that big of a dude. You know, he's got some. You know, he's got some real. You know, dynamite in those hands. But Gervonta is a mixture of both. He has sensational, like one punch power, but he's got some pretty decent boxing skills too. Now, I would never compare him to like a Devin Haney, or you know, someone with those kinds of skills. But he's a little mixture of both. You know, he's a boxer puncher and loves the counter even when he's you know when he slept 
Leo Santa Cruz, it was because Leo made this mistake of throwing three right hands over and over and over. And then, you know, Tank shifted and threw an uppercut from hell and just uh, sent him to Hades. So, yeah, Gervonta, I think, just had, just figured, you know, eventually this kid's going to open up. And there was times when, I mean, Romero was so off balance, but at the same time he was landing some shots. And if you looked at Gervonta Davis uh, at his forehead after the fight, at his head, uh, you, you could see that some of those punches did significant damage. Yeah, he's got you know the bruises he's marked up, some of like you know a mouse. Heavy, you know, heavy hands is the best attribute that Romero has, and someone more skilled than him still got touched up. So it does, it does. Um, you do feel like maybe within more time, more of like fundamentals would help out uh really but it's just man he he walked into a shot that just discombobulated him once once he was knocked down you know he obviously has heart he prideful you know wants to go out on the shield he tries to get back up he does get back up but you could see that his his left leg is like he's on spaghetti legs he's got some olive oil shit so he, he's there. He's trying to plant his feet. The ref's asking him, hey, you know what? Move around. Um, come forward. Move left. Move right. Uh, it, it seemed like he was so out of it that even the ref's directions um, weren't resonating with him. He, like, when, as he shifted, you know, the ref just sees that he's wobbly. He, he, like, there's no way he could barely stand. Why throw him out there to be hurt? Uh, but you do see, um, you know, Roly's dad essentially you know throwing the towel and just you know want want to end this fight and just you know protect his son now uh i believe i believe you know his trainer bullet got him as prepared as he could i think in that short time span he looked significantly better than his last fight a fight that most people you know believe that he lost but it's just not good enough to be any elite fighters and you have to ask yourself, okay, after a pretty devastating loss, what was he gonna, like? What was his reaction going to be, right? So obviously, you know, he makes his way to the locker room. He doesn't do a post-fight interview. He has no interest in doing a post-fight interview. But one, partly because, dude, he looks like he like he barely knows where he's at. It, it looks as though um, he's still shook up. He's leaning on his pops. He's asking his dad what happened uh, on his way to the locker room. Then the post-fight press conference comes. And he's calling for a rematch. He claims that he exposed Gervonta Davis. That those 5-1 to one rounds, as most as some people had it, that he won, uh, proved that you know he was on the same level, if not better than Gervonta, and that he just walked into something big. You could argue that that was the game plan all along from Gervonta Davis. That he wanted to reel him in. He wanted to make him confident. And that as soon as he was able to, he was going to land a shot like he did. And he, I mean, that, <laughs> I I watched that replay like 50 times already. I, and I think, you know, partly because social media, people get turned off um, by rolling in his polarizing uh, personality. And I think that's why, it, you know, it's become a meme. It's it's all over the place. But also because Gervonta Davis just, he just packs dynamite. Right? He barely touched them when it, you know, when they interviewed uh, Tank, 
His response is like, I didn't throw that punch that hard. He just walked into it. That wasn't even that big of a shot. I could have thrown that shot way harder. But that was just that was just a counter. And if your counters that you don't throw that hard have that kind of effect on, on an opponent, oh man, you're prime time, dude. You're it. The problem is that you know, Gervonta Davis is a small fighter. He is, I believe, uh, like five, five and a half. And there's some pretty talented lightweights at the moment. And if he decides to go up to back to 140, there's some pretty talented fighters there too who are significantly taller than him. So if you have someone on the same level who's taller, can hit or outbox you, you can't have that kind of a game plan. You have to create the openings. You can't just sit there and wait for the you know for one of these fighters to make a big mistake. He moves up to one forty, having a fight with Teo. Um, all depending, I guess, on where his mind's at, because that dude's all over the place and obviously has um, what I would consider some mental health issues and uh, all sorts of craziness, like emotional you know stuff going on. Um, and Ryan Garcia, right? A five foot ten fighter who is lightning quick, but leaves his chin up in the air. Obviously flawed, but powerful and quick. And then a slickster like Devin Haney, who can just outbox you. Now, um, every one of those fighters has a big flaw. Um, a fighter like Ryan Garcia is going to be hittable. A fighter like Devin Haney may have somewhat of a suspect, suspicious chin. And uh, Teofimo Lopez is someone who doesn't seem like he can control his emotions and has a difficult time. Um, he's in phenomenal, like, phenomenal shape for every fight, but didn't take accountability in his last fight. Lost to George Cambosis, blamed God knows everybody. He came up with some Deontay Wilder type shit about the networks and that it was on purpose and the promoters and they robbed the title from him only to create more openings. So you have, you have some young, talented, yet flawed lightweights. You have a George Cambosis who fights Devin Haney this weekend. And George is probably the most, maybe not well-rounded, right? But the most average at everything. He has, I think, a deceptive quickness. He has a grit to him. I think that's his biggest um, attribute. He just He's able to just fight through things. Because when he was hurt against Lopez, he bit down and he really, like, he went to work. And it was surprising that you saw that. Because when he landed that first knockdown, you just see Cambos is going to work, going to work, going to work. Then he gets hurt. And instead of wilting, he just, he thrived. And, and he earned those titles. So Cambosis, Haney, Garcia, Lopez, you know, these lightweights to junior welterweights, there's, there's genuine talent. And let's say someone like a Josh Taylor, right? The undisputed fighter at 140. That dude, man, that... that that guy will eventually move up to 147, but I'm sure would welcome Tank with open arms. Because that, that's a bad dude. Has the type of grit that Cambosis has, has legit knockdown power, has 
the inside game that you know some of these fighters don't actually have. Like most of those lightweights don't seem to have too much of an inside game. I think um, I think Tank struggles with someone like Josh Taylor. Obviously, he can land any of those bombs, but Taylor's been pretty consistent. Obviously, he had his last fight where people thought, you know, yeah, that he didn't deserve the win. But I think every one of these fighters can give him significant trouble. Now, Javante Davis is going to have to make the decision of, like, what to do next, right? So he's been calling out Devin Haney. He's saying he has no problem fighting him once Haney um, fights George Cambosis if he happens to win. He seems to want to break free from Mayweather promotions because he might believe that they're steering his um, his career maybe in a different way than he would like, right? So he wants to be either self-promoted or a free agent just to see what, what offers are out there. Obviously, you know, he's the biggest fighter that Mayweather Promotions has. There, There's um, what Richardson uh, Hitchens, that is a bad, bad motherfucker, dude. That dude is so skilled. But he's not Gervonta. Gervonta's packing these uh, some of these stadiums, some of these um, some of these celebrities. Um, you, you know, they pan out to the crowd, and you know, you see a Tracy Morgan, you see basketball stars. You like, I think his uh, one of his baby's moms, right, was like a uh, like one of those love and hip hop girls. You know, they, he's transcending. He's crossing over. He's like this little dude, you know, from Baltimore that reminds you of a little mini Mike Tyson. And just he has a swagger to him. He, you know, he looks like a little cabbage patch kid, you know, all swag the fuck out. So he, he looks like he's that dude, and I think he wants to be, you know, a household name. Most fighters do. Not many of them have the opportunity to, and I think there's something about him that really draws people in. He's he's a showman. Um, doing you know somersaults, backflips off the ropes, um, him maturing. Uh, saying the right things after fights being respectful you know once the fight's over just pretty much saying you know we we just kind of you know we said some things but they were to build a fight but i still respect him i'm i'm i respect that he shared the ring with me some of those things they stand out because maybe a younger gervonta didn't speak the same way had a chip on his shoulder you know he's from the you know always talks about how boxing saved his life how a uh, best friend got killed about how you know, he was out there really living that life, and then he made something out of himself, you know, through the fisticuffs. You love to see the growth. Seems like a really good dude. Uh, gives props to many of his fellow fighters. You can, I mean, it's pretty evident that some of the stuff that he said, like, you know, his respect for, like, Canelo, um, wearing the no boxing, no life Canelo gloves uh, in his last fight. Some of those things might like rub Floyd the wrong way, and then he, even him calling out Floyd and calling him jealous and saying that you know this dude's not trying to promote him, and that the only reason that they're pushing for the Roley fight is because they know he's leaving. But things kind of did switch up this week. You did have Gervonta claiming that um, things that you know were better. You have Leonard Ellerby saying that they, he'd be surprised if they didn't re-sign him. That they have a great working relationship. That on a personal level. You know, they, they're they're good friends, that they're close, and that he respects him, and that uh, I think that people are jumping the gun, believing that Tank is going to leave soon. The issue is that 
if Gervonta wants to fight the best fighters at 135, the best bet for him would be to probably join top rank or have some kind of working relationship with them because Gervonta Davis versus Shakur Stevenson, Gervonta Davis versus a shit, even uh, a fight with Jose Ramirez, a fight with Josh Taylor, a fight with Devin Haney. Those would be more accessible to him if he signs to top rank or if he stays a free agent and maybe works on like a, you know, fight by fight basis. Most people see big money and they kind of, they kind of sign their, their name over. And he might have that good of a relationship with Al Heyman where he says, you know what? I trust him. He's done well by me so far. Some people feel that he was, I think, maneuvered a certain way and built up a certain way against some fighters that uh, weren't on his level. But at the moment, he's special. He's, he, he sells out. He's someone that can you know, have a $9 million gate. He is someone that can sell so many 100,000 pay-per-views. He is somebody who has enough pull to where ESPN's talking about him. You know, some casuals are really talking about Tank. They're out like, who's this kid? Who's this kid? He looks like a little monster. Well, it's because he is. And he does it because he's got skills as a boxer. And he's got, you know, just lethal punching power. For me, they de- they... If Haney happens to win, they have to make that fight. Now, I'm not so sure that Devin Haney's going to win. He's got, obviously, a very driven George Cambosis. And, you know, he uh, he has an obstacle in his way. You know, his pops not being able to fly over and go to Australia with him might be more significant than we think. So, uh, apparently, Bill Haney... You know, had some some issues when he was younger, uh, committed somewhat of a uh, some some crime, and now can't travel with his son. Um, they've talked about they've been training with each other over the phone. I'm not sure how that works. Um, Devin has spent time um, with some pretty good trainers. Um, But maybe, maybe that's something that might affect him during the fight. What if he comes across something that's um, where he needs a level of comfort or someone to settle him down? He will be in front of a lot of Australians. People, I'm sure, booing him, saying all sorts of crazy shit to him. He might need that reassurance from his father. That, that, that's definitely going to play into the favor of George Cambosis. But Devin Haney, other than Shakur Stevenson, other than a you know Jerron Boutsenis, other than a Richard you know uh, Richard ah sorry Richard the Hitchens, is one of the best young, skilled like purely skilled fighters, um, in all of boxing today. He's he's just he's an extremely talented fighter. That his defense is phenomenal. It just seems that at some point in the fight, he usually has a small lapse and tends to get hurt. Now, Cambosis, like I said, has deceptive speed, and I genuinely believe deceptive power. He only has 10 knockouts, but that power worked against uh, Teofimo Lopez, 
He's pretty. I mean, he's been a, he was a sparring partner for uh, Manny Pacquiao for a while, and you know Manny would rave about him. So the kid, you know, the kid's built himself up. I remember the press conference before the Teofimo Lopez fight, where he, you know, he pretty much he was pretty blunt, and he said, "You used to have the hunger. You've never met someone with the hunger like me. See, you've already, you've already, ha- you already have the accolades." You already have the titles. You feel like you've already accomplished something. I still haven't accomplished that. I'm still thriving for that. You've never seen something like this. And during the fight, Teo came out with a terrible game plan of just trying to stop him from the first second that the bell rang. And George showed him that he that every single word he said in the press conference he meant. That he was that driven that he did have that chip on his shoulder that he was that kind of a warrior this this fight to me is a 50-50 maybe you lean a little bit towards Haney because he is a very skilled fighter and that, that kid's like two three years away from his prime and from pretty much dominating uh, the lower weight classes he I believe he's like 5'9 so eventually he'll get up there he'll He'll be a you know junior welterweight, but right here right now, he be he'll become if not, one of the youngest undisputed fighters of all time. I can't wait. I can't wait. I I, I am a betting man. I don't know who to bet on. Devin Haney, way more skills, quicker, can jab his ass off, and he's hard as fuck to hit. But you don't ever bet against somebody that has a kind of drive that George Cambosis has. That that throws skills, you know. It's like they say, right? Uh, you know, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard, and that's that might be what happens. But Devin Haney might pitch a shutout. For all the hardcores, this is this is a really interesting fight because while most people favor Devin Haney. You're not sure because every single time he's been touched, actually touched to the chin, it does seem like you have to worry. Like his legs do give out a little bit, like he does get rattled. Obviously, um, Linares is a big puncher and Jojo didn't really land much. But when he did, it, it did seem like it had somewhat of an effect on, on, on Devin. But he... he he should be able to outbox Cambosis. Or Cambosis can, you know, make him work. Tire him out. Dig deep in that 10th, 11th round. Give him hell. So we've been a few weeks away from the Canelo Alvarez fight. I just wanted to recap. And I swear to you, anybody who listens to me, anyone who follows me on social media, uh, from the from the very first day when the fight was signed, when I heard rumors about a Canelo Bivol fight, I thought it was a terrible idea. I thought it was an absolutely ridiculous idea to have someone who's a legitimate boxer. Significantly taller, 
has pretty decent power. People don't rem If you don't remember that Dimitri Bivol was a power puncher, someone who in the amateurs fought as heavy as heavyweight, that had, you know, real, real pop as a light heavyweight. If you thought that Canelo was going to be able to just walk through that guy, you don't know boxing. You just don't know boxing. People were, people were laughing, scoffing, right? The casuals. They kept on talking about how, you know, Canelo was going to break, you know, his face like he did Billy Joe Saunders. That he was going to drop him and stop him like he did Caleb Plant. You motherfuckers must have never seen Bevel fight. Now, you, you, know, you could have a stinker here and there. And, and Bevel has. But he did beat Joe Smith Jr., he did beat someone who's considered to be the second biggest puncher at 175. He did outbox him clearly. See, most fighters whose careers become stagnant because of opportunity tend to fight to their, oppor to their opposition's level. And Bevel, he's no different. You had to put him against someone like a Canelo. Someone who he could get excited about. Someone that, that would give him a challenge. If not um, by skill, at least, you know, who, who had that name, that, that draw power that, you know, essentially he could, he could thrive off of and that he could um, build a name off of, right? Man, that... I don't know who scored the fight so fucking close, but genuinely... I, I thought Bevel was just embarrassing him. Canelo really tried to fight a slick, tall, Russian fighter by hardly throwing punches. He came out the gate, boom. He want, like, wants to walk through him. Yeah, what are you going to do in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth round once you get tired? All the punching, the arms, shit, is only going to work for so long. And Canelo's an extremely talented fighter. But they really believed their own hype. They really thought, hey, this guy, he's, he's whatever. We're going to walk through him. And then you realize, holy shit, no the fuck I'm not. And what do you do then? You're sitting there, confused, frustrated, trying to pick up your opponent and fucking toss him over your shoulder. You don't know what to do. He looked lost. His corner asking him what was wrong. Uh, the fucking game plan, dick. Like, <laughs> what, what, what do you mean? Everything that you're doing is wrong. You came out the gate like your Teofimo Lopez against George Cambosis. You should have realized what that was going to do. You've already seen how that, you know, how that movie plays out. You didn't respect your opponent and you paid for it. And now, you know, Canelo. And, and look, you, you can't judge him. You could call it a cherry pick, but to me, to anybody that kind of like foresaw this, Bevel's no fucking like walkover. He's no cherry. This is Canelo attempting to really be great because he believes in himself. They were talking about Usyk. You get the fuck out of here. Usyk would have slept Canelo. How the fuck did you think you were going to do that to such a talented fighter. Canelo has a great camp. 
but they really believed their own hype. They really thought that they were so much better than their opponent that they could just go out there, pressure him, and stop him. It would look like they thought they were going to do it before, before six rounds. Then, Beevil's fucking punching his head off with jabs and right hands, and you're like, what the fuck? It, it was a nightmare. The matchmaking, is that, that's an absolute nightmare. And you have Eddie Hearn, who looks like someone just threw egg on his face. And he doesn't know what the fuck to do. And those scorecards were way too fucking close. Way too close. That shit, that was ridiculous. And the fallout is, okay, Canelo wants a rematch. They robbed him. He starts, he starts bitching. He starts complaining about the fucking scorecards. Bro, he, you're the last motherfucker on earth who needs to be complaining about ha- like favoritism when it comes to boxing. This motherfucker got a draw against Floyd Mayweather when he landed like seven punches. Like, get the, get the fuck out of here with that shit, right? Now, you know, they make the Triple G fight. And I'll be honest with you. To me, the biggest deal is going to be how does Golovkin fare at 168? You can tell me everything you want about him being old at 160. I've never seen him at 168. He doesn't have to cut those, eight, those last eight pounds. He gets to be happy the last week of, you know, of training. He, he won't be weight drained and probably won't be won't uh, won't be sick, because he does have a history of suffering from some of those some of that weight drain, some of those weight cuts. He's had multiple fights. The Derevchenko fight stands out. The Danny Jacobs fight stands out. Or this motherfucker's backstage throwing up, fainting because of the weight cut. Yeah, he might be smiling, but go ahead and go back, look at the history, and look at how he does during those weight cuts. He's been sick in some of his most significant fights, and he's had an issue that I'm sure has affected him in the ring. Yeah, of course he's fucking knocking dudes' heads off at 160. He's a bigger fighter. But his stability, and maybe even his punching power, he might be be able to carry to 168. See, everybody judges about how Canelo, like, everyone kind of praises Canelo for moving up to 168. From 154 to 160 to 168, 175, down to 168. And really having that, that muscle mass and that power and um, being able to carry that weight well. We've never seen Golovkin do that. It might be to his benefit and people don't realize it because he's motherfuckers 40 years old and should have probably moved up at some point. He should have probably at some point attempted to be great and fought Andre Ward. Now, obviously that's not here nor there. But the truth is that Canelo Alvarez Triple G might be a closer fight than we think. You still have to favor the younger fighter, but Canelo's not a young, you know, 30-something-year-old fighter. The kid started fighting professionally at like 15. He has a lot of fights underneath his belt. He's had, he, he has had two wars with Triple G. He was getting his fucking head boxed off by Sergey Kovalev before that knockout. He may not be as bright or as youthful as most people believe he is. So for me, I would put my money on Canelo. But you always have a chance of losing. All great fighters, and Triple G was a great fighter, always have one fight left in them. Every single great fighter has one last fight. Where they show you their greatness. That they still have that ability. 
you go overseas, you fight in Japan, you know, you start off slow, and someone hurts you to the body. He's only been with Banks for how long? There's there's going to be a learning curve. It does take a few fights to get accustomed to a certain trainer. And once he turned like once he turned it on, Triple G was that dude. Was you know he he did show you that he was a fighter. You know he still has it in him. Everyone, oh he's old, he's old, oh he's old. You know in boxing, like every episode I say it, boxing fans are fickle. What have you done for me lately? Oh you look like shit in that fight. Oh you're you know you're washed up. Consider retiring. You suck. You were never that great. And then you know. He gets a stoppage, and people still not happy. But again, at 168, you have to ask yourself, does it benefit him? He can lift a little bit more. He can eat more. Shit, you could just not be on a fucking water diet and in a sweatsuit the last fucking few days of the week. And you know, dude, you know he has that drive. These motherfuckers hate each other. The first fight, they were so amicable. Used to be sparring. They've sparred. You know, been sparring partners. You know, cool with one another. Um, Had those uh, camps up there in the summit. And now, (laughs) they fucking, they genuinely hate each other. You got uh, Triple G accusing, you know, Canelo and the refs and fucking the judges being terrorists. Like, literally said the word terrorist in his um, native uh, tongue. And you got, you know, Canelo calling him all sorts of shit because he accused him of taking steroids. So there's genuine, you know, disdain. They, this fight would have happened earlier had Canelo not felt like he wanted to tell Triple G to go fuck himself and not give him that payday. But they see it as a money grab, right? They see it as a fight that should be easier than most people expect. That Triple G doesn't, doesn't have the firepower, can't hurt him. All he has to do is break him down in the body and possibly, you know, even finish him upstairs. But Canelo over the last few fights has shown his greatness, but he's also become somewhat of a laxative fighter. He's become someone who will throw a lot less punches than you figure he would and just waits for an open. He wants every single punch to matter. What won him the second fight was pressing forward and Gennady not being able to have a response for that. The, after the first fight, he said, I thought you were going to fight me Mexican style. In the fucking second fight, Canelo said, all right, motherfucker, let's see who's Mexican. He pushed forward. He was aggressive. He threw those punches in bunches. You know, and he got tagged up, you know, in some rounds too. But he pretty much walked Triple G down. The first fight I had for Gennady, I, I thought it was a clear victory for him. The second fight, I thought Canelo really worked him. I thought Canelo really pushed forward jabbed them out punched them out land like just just put it on them and i i thought that triple g was just completely unprepared for that kind of a fight in the third fight you know wherever it's at i'd love to go it's going to be worth our money because i i think something special will come out of it something we haven't seen in the previous two fights something something's got to give and it's i love to see Fighters settle their differences when they genuinely don't like each other in the ring. 
I think this is what this fight's going to give us. So some news came out yesterday about uh, Anthony Joshua um, selecting his new trainer. His new head trainer being Robert Garcia for the upcoming uh, Alexander Usyk fight. Now, trying to get his titles back, trying to save face. Um, felt like he needed to make some changes and obviously felt that Robert was going to be the best option for him. Now, Robert Garcia is a great trainer. I feel like he has some really talented fighters, but he's been on somewhat of a losing streak. So for me, the real question is, one, what's the problem, right? Is it that he has too many fighters and doesn't have enough time to allocate to them? Um, That he bought into his own hype and isn't defensive minded. I mean, the Mikey loss alone was terrible. My, God damn, I wish I would have. You know, sometimes when I see humongous odds, I think to myself, like, you know what, Alex? You should, uh, you should definitely put some money on this, just on the underdog, make it like a light 20 bucks, some 20, 40 bucks, and, and see what you get out of it, right? That was one of the biggest fucking like surprises you'll see that was i couldn't i couldn't believe it i couldn't believe you know you know and a couple of weeks later i saw i saw mikey garcia at a place called the state in redlands and i'd like turn over to the right i see him and i'm like holy fuck he looks at me like all surprised and he's like what like do i know this motherfucker like what's his problem you know and i'm just like yo you're mikey garcia and part of me almost blurted out damn dude you were a great fighter but i stopped myself I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know, you know, what's going to happen with that camp. They they lost Virgil Ortiz, and I kind of bummed out about that because I thought that was the perfect matchup. They have Jose Ramirez, who doesn't look the same. They had maybe the best stable in all of boxing, and now it seems as though... They've had people leave. They've had people suffer losses. They they don't have the that camp may not have the same luster that it once did. Will training Anthony Joshua like revive or like spark something in that camp? Because the dude, you know, Robert is a very I think methodical and aggressive trainer. Right? His fighters are great inside fighters. They do have pretty legit fundamentals. Mikey obviously it can box beautifully. Virgil had a beautiful fucking jab. Um he was so so important to the the progress that Nonito Donaire made. Um Robert had all sorts of talent. Even someone like a Brandon Rios had some skill to that fucking brawling style that he had so you know and jose ramirez obviously you know maneuvering him through the 140 pound division like he he was with him uh i think at his biggest heights and for me like i don't want to i don't wish you know downfall on any, on anybody but anthony joshua really did suffer i think because of himself 
He's a heavyweight fighter who has always been, you know, those rumors being chinny, um, being hurt badly in the Dillian White fight, kind of, you know, stumbling around, getting stopped by uh, Andy Ruiz, and then really being worked by Usyk, and not, and not having any kind of response for it, right? So you people see him and they think he's more of an athlete than he is a fighter. So maybe the move to Robert Garcia is, you know, to bring out more of a fighter in him. I just I just don't know what Garcia could do with him um, in one fight that would translate to that. So, you know, we have Deontay Wilder announcing that he's making a comeback too. And, you know, whether, you know, Joshua beats Usyk or not, um, it does seem like... You know, they both fucked up and never making that fight. A Anthony Joshua, a Deontay Wilder fight at some point was worth, you know, a hundred and something million dollars. And while people would still want to watch it, it's nowhere near that. Joshua saw, like suffered those losses. Um, Wilder, you know, you know, had a couple of losses and they were pretty significant. You got... You know, the heavyweight uh, division just pretty much waiting on Usyk to beat Joshua and then possibly uh, unify or become undisputed with Tyson Fury. I don't know that there's anything Robert Garcia can bring to the table in one fight, in one training camp that can reverse what, what just happened. Joshua needs to be a better boxer. He needs to fight tall. He needs to be quicker. He needs he needs the reflexes that Usyk has to beat Usyk. He doesn't have the boxing skill that a Tyson Fury has. And to be honest with you, I don't think he has the punching power that De, uh, Deontay Wilder has. He's somewhere in between, right? But he's flawed because he has that chin. So for him, you know, he throws a jab, you know, he wants to jab his way in and then he he'll throw these combinations. But the dude's built like a fucking power lifter. <laughs> And those punches get kind of wide. And then dudes counter you. And then you hurt them and you can't finish them. And they come back. And then hand speed gives you issues. So it's not just the boxing. It's not just the footwork. It's the hand speeds. Usyk has everything that Joshua would need to beat someone like a Tyson Fury. Like a Deontay Wilder. I don't think Usyk beats Fury. Shit, and he might outbox Wilder, but as soon as Wilder touches them, he's probably putting them to sleep. You know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Garcia does bring something to the table, something I don't see. Maybe Garcia tines up some of that defense. Maybe they work on the power jab. Maybe... Maybe he could turn him into a taller Victor or uh, Virgil Ortiz. It's just the time. He doesn't have two years to rebuild him. They wanted to rush into a rematch. And I think changing trainers isn't what you need. Yeah, it's gonna, it, might, it might help with some of the fundamentals. But as soon as you get touched... And Usyk, I think, is going to come in the second fight. Because the last time I saw him... That motherfucker was weighing like like 230 or some shit like that. Like he wants to come in bulkier because he wants to stop Anthony Joshua. 
and he'll be the next big British hype, right? Similar to like a Nassim Ahmed with obviously better wins. But he'll be another British fighter who came overseas and never beat the the type of opponents that would have like cemented his greatness. And the last fight I want to go over was the Charlo Castaño fight. Holy shit. Look, the baby Charlo is a better Charlo. And he's proven it. Because he won one title, and then he went and faced the other champion. And he took his title. And then guess what he did? He went and got that third title. And when he went for the fourth one, most people thought he lost. Okay. It was up for debate. So what did he do? He ran that shit back. And he went and took that title. And then he became the undisputed champion at 154 pounds, and he became the baddest motherfucker in that weight class. And not a Tim Zhu, and not a Fondora, nobody could fuck with him. So that dude is impressive, and he deserves respect. See, everybody doesn't like the Charlos because, you know, they say this shit, they got the swagger, they got this chip on the shoulder, they're always angry, they're confrontational, they don't want to fuck with you, they don't want to give you interviews, they tell you to go fuck yourself. But they have this drive inside of them, right? They're like, there's something to them. There's like an anger to them that they exploit and they develop themselves with. They, everybody's feel differently. Everybody, everybody has a different kind of drive. Their drive appears to be like cemented in anger. <laughs> they both seem like, you know, good dudes. You know, they're like family men and whatever. Obviously, everybody has shit like, you know. Football players have shit off the field. Baseball players have shit off the field. You know, like people have their vices. They make their mistakes. Okay, granted. But this dude here is significantly different than his older brother. This dude chased greatness and he achieved it. And he's the best fucking fighter in the world at 154 pounds. And his stablemate is the best fighter at 147. And they have the very best trainer in all of boxing at the moment. So, to Charlo, dude, you a bad motherfucker, man. Derek James, best trainer in the world. Gotta sh- got, you gotta shout them out. You gotta give them their respect. I just, I wanted to make sure I brought that up because a lot of people have been talking so much shit over the last few years about the Charlo brothers. And yeah, big Charlo, hey homie, you gotta do something with it. But, god damn, dude, that one. Conquering 154 was special. He proved that he himself was special. He proved that his trainer's special. You got two unified fucking champs, one of them being undisputed. Derek James is the best trainer this year. He was the best trainer last year. He was probably the best trainer before then. But motherfuckers don't want to give him his credit. So salute. And this is it. This is it. You know, just... Move up to 160, dog. Have your brother move up to 168. Get that beef with uh, Benavides figured out. And let's get it going. Yeah, so this concludes you know, this last episode of Boxing and Bullshit. I am your host, Alex Diaz. Yo, thank you for everybody who likes, shares, just fucking listens to this shit. You know what I mean? Like, I know you got a lot of better shit to do than listen to me, you know, talk boxing. But it is what I love, all the boxing heads. All the people that just support, thank you, thank you, thank you. Have a wonderful day.
I'm out.